Thanks, Moira. One of the fun things about being a pastor is that you can say one sentence and you can make a whole bunch of people happy and a whole bunch of other people angry at the same time. This is one of the things that when you're a pastor that happens. Um, we're going to be talking about prophecy today. And, and immediately I know that some people are going, yes, finally, cool, we're going to talk about prophecy. And another group of people are going, uh-oh, this is weird. I don't understand that stuff. And I'm scared. I don't want to stay away from it. It's just how it works, isn't it? That, that, that same thing that we can offer to somebody can excite one group and fill another group with fear. Let's not be f- afraid. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Haggai. And uh, it's, it's going to be fun. I, I've been really, I've loved preparing this, these messages. And, and I, I want you to, to enjoy it and to be part of it and to go, this prophecy stuff is amazing. And so to do that, I, I want us to start with just a few ideas of, 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 that may help you listen to the prophets. One of the beautiful things about the Bible is that the whole of Scripture is God-breathed, every part of it. But some parts of the Bible are just, I don't know, they're easier to read than others, aren't they? And, and they kind of seem normal. And then you kind of read other parts where you're like, what on earth is going on here? Well, the reason for that is simple, that the Bible was written over thousands of years, and, and different genres of literature sound different, and we need to read them in different ways. If, you, if you've ever tried to read a sociology textbook as an engineer, you'll be lost. If you've ever tried to read an engineering textbook as a sociologist, you'll be lost. And so we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of learning how to listen to prophets and then spending some time in the book of Haggai. And, and here's the problem. Even though prophets are speaking God's word and, and we're reading them in English, sometimes we lose what they're saying. Just like this guy in this clip. Enjoy. Gorthy and County Kerry are investigating the theft of up to 60 sheep on Mount Brandon. One of the farmers is offering a reward for information leading to the return of the ewes, which are worth thousands of euro. Well, there's a fine national, that's right, then. Do you want them in? Last Saturday, Mikey Joe O'Shea brought his flock of Scotch sheep down from the mountain commonage ahead of lambing. He discovered over 50 were missing. Allowing for a number of deaths and strays, Mikey is convinced over 45 sheep have been stolen. Possibly a night, there'd be a full moon there, a night, and it should be bright out, and could anyone go up in the mountains about a night, sure. Well, there was 45 sheep missing, like, and the lambs and everything, the sheep, just count, just count out a nice bit of money, like. To be done about it, nothing. Some sort, you know, some sort of either. Mikey's next door neighbour says some of his sheep have also been stolen. Come back, come back, come back. I'm missing about 10, 10 ewes. It's not all that difficult. All you got to do is have a good dog. Have a good dog and go at night, some moonshine night, just put the dog around him. Put him on a trailer or walk him. And then probably somebody else to pick him up. Whoever is doing it knows what he's doing. Did you understand what he was saying? I can absolutely assure you he was speaking English. He really was. 
And if you don't believe me, you can go into YouTube and turn on the, on the, um, the captions, and it will tell you what he was saying. But he was speaking English, and we picked up, but anybody pick up everything he was saying? I didn't think so. No heavy Irish people here with us today. But you see, that's part of the problem with, with prophets, is that, is that they're speaking a language we don't always understand. And so sometimes we miss really important things that they're saying, or sometimes we disengage rather than saying, let me lean in a bit closer. And this morning, I just want to give you a few, and they're not by any means all of the tools, but I just want to give you a few tools that will genuinely help you, not just with understanding Haggai, but also being able to understand prophets in general when you read particularly the Old Testament. So Haggai is one of those prophets that's kind of at the end of the Old Testament, there are a whole lot of them, called the minor prophets. Now, the temptation is to go, well, if they're minor, they can't be that important. Well, that's not why they're called minor prophets. They're called minor prophets because, because what they had to say is very briefly recorded. In fact, Haggai only, only prophesied for four months. And so the temptation is to go, well, they, they're not that important because, because they're minor. They're not as important as Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezra. No, no, they are incredibly important. Why? Because they're part of God's word. And all of God's word, Genesis through to Revelation, is God-breathed. And so all of it is inspired. And so don't turn away from somebody like Haggai or Jonah or one of those other prophets because you think they're not important because they're called minor prophets. In fact, one of the fun things about the minor, well, not just minor prophets, but all of prophets, is that they're all kind of quirky. All of them are quirky and did some really weird things. We'll talk a little bit about some of the weird things that they did later on. So the first thing is to understand that even though this is called a minor book, it is incredibly important. The second thing is that when reading any prophet, but trying to understand Haggai, is to have a historical context. Because all of Scripture takes place within a specific historical context. Now, some parts of Scripture are, are really hard to be able to date because there's not enough history given or we don't know enough about the ancient history to put them in the, in the right place. However, often prophets are much easier to date because they, they give some of that dating information and they talk about this king and that king and we have outside evidence for those kings and so we can know when they were around. And so Haggai fits with a group of people called post-exilic prophets. They were prophets that came after the exile. So if you know your, your history of Israel, you will know that, that there was this huge kingdom under David, and then it divided up into a northern and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was destroyed earlier, and then the southern kingdom, which was Judah and Benjamin, where Jerusalem was, they remained but they disobeyed God. And eventually God sent the Babylonians and they were taken into exile. I used the word post-exilic earlier on. 
They were taken into exile, spent 70 years in exile, and then some of them were allowed to go back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild Jerusalem, and most specifically, the temple in Jerusalem. And so there's this whole group of prophets that arise during that time to remind these people of what they are there for, to remind these people of what the kingdom of Israel was like and what God wants them to do now so that his children can carry on being a light to the nations. Because their temptation was to go, well, we've been destroyed, we're unimportant, God doesn't care about us anymore. And these post-exilic prophets were there to remind people that God has not given up on his purpose for you or for the world. He is still there and he's still working and he still wants you to be part of this amazing, amazing plan. Also, I said it earlier that Hagar only prophesied for four months In fact, we've got precise dates, 29th of August to the 18th of December, 520 BC. That's when he was around, just four months. Again, a reminder to us that God can use us anytime. That this message isn't less important because it doesn't span a longer time. That this message isn't less important because, because this person only prophesied for four months. God's word is always God's word, whether it's spoken briefly or over hundreds of years. A third thing I want to say about understanding Haggai, but also all of the prophets, is we need to stop being afraid of prophets. I said earlier, it's easy as a pastor to divide people up because there's a group of people that as soon as you start talking prophecy, they go, yes, and they, and they, and they often go a bit weird on you, you know, and they know the meanings of all of these, and you're like, oh. And then there's others who go, no, no, I just, I don't get that stuff. And so, so it's, it's technically often a hard thing to engage with because we have to explore culture and stuff if we're going to understand it properly. And so people end up being afraid to go near the prophetic books. There's another reason why I think people are afraid of, of prophets and prophetic books is that often church and Christian world use prophecy as a weapon against other people. We, we love to talk about those people that God is against. And often prophecy I mean, you read it, it's associated with some scary sentences and some quite frightening images. And we're like, oh, I don't want to read about all that judgment. And the truth is, we've got a, we've got a distorted view often of prophecy because we like to focus on prophets around the whole God is cross with you and he's going to get you. And as a preacher, that's a useful tool, sadly to scare people or to guilt people into obedience. I'm glad I can't scare people anyway, so that's not a temptation for me. But it's one of the reasons why people are afraid of the prophets. One of the best ways to not be afraid is to get information. Folks, there's a a fantastic, 
fantastic tool available to help you understand prophecy, and it's called the internet. Now, I know, I know that you can go there and see some very weird stuff, but there's this really fantastic resource called the Bible Project, and we've shown some of their videos from time to time in church. They are free, available on YouTube, and they are really great. We posted the one on Haggai this week on our Facebook page, and I'd love you this week to go and watch that video. It's just five minutes, seven minutes long, and it'll just give you historical context and help you understand some of the imagery. And, and there's videos available for every single one of the prophets. So please, don't stay away from prophecy because, because you're afraid of either prophecy or of prophets. I love the fact that Haggai has another little clue to the fact that we don't need to be afraid of him. The name Haggai comes, is pronounced in Hebrew, Haggai. Okay, that, that H is a H. The Scots and the Afrikaners can do it well. And it comes from the root word in Hebrew, Chag, which means festive or feast. So you can imagine the guys working around Jerusalem and the prophet comes along and, and, and he, whoa, yeah, I'm a bit scary, scared because he's a prophet. And then someone says, yeah, yeah, but you know what his name is? Chagah. He's like the festive oak. He's the party prophet. We don't have to be afraid of him. And, and God really does that. Often in Scripture, he, he, he uses names and he uses ideas like that to help us have a deeper understanding. And so we must stop being afraid of prophets and of prophecy. A third re really important thing about understanding Haggai and other prophets is to be able to distinguish between the audience they were talking to then and the audience today. You see, because God's word is meant for all of God's people for all of time. But during the time of Haggai, the politics and, and religion, politics and the worship of God were not divisible. The center of both religious and political life in Haggai's day was Jerusalem and the temple. And with the new covenant, that's changed. And so often we, we end up, and next week I'm going to unpack this a little bit because it's really important because a lot of people steal prophecy for political agendas. And, 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 and that's not God's purpose to give us prophecy. His purpose is to lead God's people where he wants them to go. And so being able to understand the audience in those days and understand our context is really important. We'll unpack that a little bit next week. But let's dive in for the next 15 minutes or so and, and go through Haggai chapter one and see some incredibly important things God wants to remind us about. Because remember, that's what a prophecy is. It's a message from God to his people to remind them about something really, really important. And so Haggai chapter one, and I'm reading from the message. On the first day of the sixth month of the second year in the reign of King Darius of Persia, God's message was delivered by the prophet Haggai to the governor of Judah, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and to the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. A message from the God of the angel armies. The people procrastinate. 
They say this isn't the right time to build my temple, the temple of God. Shortly after that, God said more and Haggai spoke it. How is it that it's the right time for you to live in your fine new homes while the home, God's temple, is in ruins? And then a little later, God of the angel army spoke out again. Take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. You've spent a lot of money, but you haven't much to show for it. You keep filling your plates, but you never get filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put on layer after layer of clothes, but you can't get warm. And the people who work for you, what are they getting out of it? Not much. A leaky, rusted out bucket, that's what. That's why God of the angel army said, take a good, hard look at your life. Think it over. Then God said, here's what I want you to do. Climb into the hills and cut some timber. Bring it down and rebuild the temple. Do it for me. Honor me. You have great ambitions for yourself, but nothing has come of it. The little you have brought to my temple, I've blown away. There was nothing there was nothing to it. And why? This is a message from God of the angel armies, remember? Because while you've run around, caught up with taking care of your own houses, my house is in ruins. That's why, because of your stinginess. And so I've given you a dry summer and a meager crop. I've matched your tight-fisted stinginess by decreeing a season of drought, drying up fields and hills, withering gardens and orchards, stunting vegetables and fruit, nothing. Not a man or woman, not an animal or crop is going to thrive. Then the governor, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and all the people with them listened, really listened to the voice of their God. When God sent the prophet Haggai to them, they paid attention to him. I'm listening to, in listening to Haggai, they honored God. Then Haggai, God's messenger, preached God's word to the people. I am with you, God's word. This is how God got Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people moving, got them working on the temple of God of the angel armies. This happened on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. And so let's unpack some of these incredibly important messages Reminders that Haggai has, both for God's people in that context and for you and I today. Here's the first reminder, and we find it in Haggai 1, 2 to 4. Don't procrastinate. I, I love that I, I went and looked at the message version. I, when I prepare sermons, I look at all sorts of different versions. And, and I love that the word procrastinate came up. Because I've discovered that in my own personal life, that a lot of the disobedience I end up committing isn't about being rebellious, isn't about not wanting to do what God wants me to do, it's about being a procrastinator. And I tell you this, when I finally get round to it, I'm one of the biggest procrastinators I know. I mean, it's just that, that is me. <laughs> 
ask my family. And what has it done here? Effectively, it's, it's, it's said God's agenda, God's work, God's rule, God's purposes are something that I get around to. Because have you noticed, when, if you're a procrastinator like me, it's not that, well, maybe you do, but I don't sit there looking into the sky. I do stuff. I do all sorts of other stuff. Stuff that's also important. But it's not the important thing. And so Haggai was talking to God's people in those days and said, saying to them, stop procrastinating. Stop getting busy with other things and get on with what God sent you back here to do. Because now when you study the history, you'll discover that's why the people were sent back to Jerusalem. They were sent back to build God's temple again. And God reminds us through the prophet Haggai that, that it's a massive temptation and a thing we so easily do is to procrastinate. At this point, the temptation is for me to wag my finger. Temptation is to look at you or you and make you feel bad. But I don't want to do that because that's actually not what Haggai was trying to do here. And I'm sorry that so often God's word is used to, to, to either make people afraid or put them on guilt trips. But, but I really don't believe that that's what God was trying to do. He was trying to get his people to obey, but, but he wasn't trying to guilt them. In fact, so Haggai reminds us that we shouldn't be judgy. One of the wonderful things about Scripture is that you can, if you don't understand something, you can go and look somewhere else, and it often explains it. And all of the context of those four months that Haggai prophesied can be found in the book of Ezra. It's one of the long prophetic books. And Ezra and Haggai were contemporaries of each other, and, and he, Ezra recorded a lot of what Haggai said. And in Ezra chapter 4, we get to find out why the people had stopped building the temple. They'd come back, they'd built a few foundations, and then they stopped. And we discover it's not because they were being rebellious, not because they were just being lazy. Listen what it says in Ezra chapter 4. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Ezahaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So, so there's a political context. There's, there's a real world. Just like right now, you and I are dealing with the real world of a COVID pandemic and all the struggles which maybe 
why we are tempted to procrastinate on God's work. These people were faced with exactly the same thing. So these enemies, these other people that had been brought in by another kingdom to live there, come to the, the guys in charge and say, we'll help you because, hey, we've tried to worship God too and, and we want to be with you. Now, fortunately, Zerubbabel knew some history. He knew that there'd been times when the people of Israel were coming out of the, Egypt into the promised land that, that they ended up making treaties with people that God had told them not to make treaties with. They had been tricked into making treaties with people they weren't supposed to make treaties with, and it ended up costing them for years and years and years. And they were able to identify in this moment, these guys don't really want to worship God. They, they're coming here to disrupt what's going on. I mean, the simple thing is, if they really wanted to worship God, why hadn't they started building a temple? Because that's how you worship God. And so they identify this. They're not being mean and saying to these guys, we don't like you. They understand that this, this is the world trying to stop them doing what God has called them to do. But it doesn't stop just with that. It goes on and it becomes a legal battle. If you read the detail, they, they go back to the kings that were supplying things and, they, and they, they filled out false reports. And you should go and read it in Israel. There's some really interesting ways these guys did it. They talk in language that people can understand so that they can intimidate them. It's, it's a really great story of how a group of people try to stop others from doing what God wants them to do. I think often... We as God's people, as pastors, and as church can resort to, to guilt tactics or fear tactics to make people obey. And the truth is that does have a place, but the, I think the bigger truth is that God would always want us to obey out of love rather than out of fear or guilt. Now the truth is sometimes we do need to feel guilty because if we've done something wrong, guilt is an appropriate response. But God isn't coming to these people to make them feel guilty. And it's a reminder to us as God's people when we speak to people, especially those who don't yet know God, that guilt is not a great way to get people to love you. Guilt is not a great way to get people to love God. The love of God and the mission of God is the best way to get people to love us and to love God. So Haggai reminds us that as we listen to God, we must avoid the sin of judgment of other people. But here's the next message that Haggai brings to, to us, and it's found in Haggai 1, 5 to 11. He warns these people of, of the, the sin that they've committed of separating their God life and their everyday life. If you go back and you look at the passage, he, he talks to them about their everyday life. Hey, guys, you, 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 know, you, you eat nice food, but somehow you're still hungry. You, you drink all those nice things, but somehow you're still not satisfied. You, you work so hard and you get something back, but, but it just... Have you noticed that where you are in this world just isn't enough? 
I love that reminder. And you should go and read it again because it's echoed by Jesus later on when he says to people, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You see, Haggai wasn't telling them that it was wrong to build their own houses or to plant or do any of that stuff. But what he was saying to them is, because of your, your, your skewed priorities, because of your procrastination and looking after yourself before you, you build a temple for God, all of the stuff you're doing for yourself somehow isn't fulfilling you. Somehow it's not fitting right in, and, and you have all the stuff, but it feels meaningless. This isn't just a message for those people in those days, it's a message for us today. We pursue so much. And again, Haggai isn't saying you mustn't do that. But he's saying you guys have, have made the decision that you'll get round to God as an afterthought. That somehow, once you've done all of this, then you'll get round to that. Don't try to separate your God life and your everyday life. Because if you do, neither of them will satisfy. Neither of them will fulfill you. Neither of them will bring the kingdom of God. But when we bring those together, when we live our everyday life, seeking first the kingdom, and when we worship God out of a life that is fulfilled and a life that is obeying God, then, then the magic happens. Because finally, and this was finally, actually semi-finally, second last thing, Haggai's next important reminder is found in verse 12. There is no substitute for obedience. There is no substitute for obedience. If there's one thing that I think almost every prophet has in common, again and again and again, it's this idea from God that you can worship me with all the formulas and all the rituals and in the most beautiful temple and all the grand things as long as you like. But if you're not obeying me in the rest of your life, you're not really worshiping me. It's the same thing when Jesus says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. All of the law and the prophets is summed up in those two commands. And so obedience not selective obedience, but full obedience is what builds God's temple. Full obedience is what creates a world that is transformed by the kingdom of God. Sometimes, to hear a message like that can feel overwhelming. Don't you think so? I've tried tried all my life, but I just never seem to get it right. And truth is, it's relatively easier for a pastor because my working world 
and my spiritual world are forced to overlap. But the truth is, this is God's message, not just for the pastors, but for everybody. And so, in Haggai chapter one, the most important thing that God has to remind his people, the most important reminder, and we've listed a whole bunch now, is this. It's found right at the end of the chapter in verse 13. I am with you. You'll notice if you go back and read it, Haggai frames it differently. Then Haggai, God's messenger, preached God's message to the people. The, the word is, is ramped up. It's gone from, this is the message Haggai gave to the people to this is the message he preached. And why? Because the writer here is, is trying to tell us something, that all of this stuff is incredibly important, but here's the key, that God is with you. Folks, we have an incredibly important mission in this world. Just like the people of Israel, just like those exiles that came back from Babylon, our job is to build the temple of God. Now, it's, it's not a physical temple anymore like that one was, but it's a very real temple. It is the temple of your life. Scripture talks about we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and, that, and God dwells in us. And so we are in a very real sense because that's what, where the, what the temple was in Israel in those days. It was the place where God lived. Do you know that God lives in every single one of you? And so just like God's people in Haggai were being called to build a physical temple, you and I are being called through personal transformation to build a temple out of our lives. And the most important thing we need to know about that is God is with us when we're doing it. Sometimes we feel like God is not with us. Isn't that true? I know of people who've gone through years of faithfully reading Scripture and, and, and they're just like, I'm just doing it, but it doesn't feel real. God is with you. When you're celebrating the hearts of, of, of God's, God is with you. Build the temple and know this, that God is with you. But a second thing that we need to know is that God's temple isn't just our individual lives, it's also this church community. Now, it's not this building. This is not the temple of God, but the community, the church as a body of individuals who come together is a temple of God. We are the body of Christ, and God makes his will and his and His and his love known through the church. I love the fact that, that we are reminded over and over by Haggai that he's not talking to one person. You notice when he asks for obedience, he says to Zerubbabel and to this person and that person and all of Israel. Here's the, one of my favorite parts of the book of Haggai. God's people listened to him. <laughs> That's cool. Prophets don't have a good record of God listening, of people listening to them, eh? Go and look at Jeremiah. He spends half his book complaining. God, you've told me to say this stuff and nobody will listen. But Haggai got listened to, which is why I think maybe it was just so short. He's like, I've got a perfect record. I'm out. Just kidding, but it's a good suggestion, isn't it? 
but the people listened. One of the secrets of listening is that we listen together, is that we are there to help one another and walk this road together. Nothing like my family to stop me procrastinating. Together. And then finally, we are being asked by the prophet Haggai and by God to build the temple of this world. To bring God's kingdom. We've just finished a series on being capital C citizens. That's what this is about. To make this world a place where God is known. The New Testament talks about it. That his name will be known to the ends of the earth. Folks, I don't know what you're going to take away from Haggai, but I want you to take this away. That you and I have been given by God an incredibly important task, and it's to, be, it's to rebuild God's temple. And I don't know where you are right now, if you're procrastinating or if you're working passionately at it, but I want you to go away with this. That God's asked you to do it, but he's also with you. I am with you. God has said it. Let's stand together and thank God for that. No better reminder of God being with us than a good benediction, a good blessing. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before his presence with great joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. And may you as God's people go into this week with these words, I am with you. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.